0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 91 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So we just wanted to send out thank yous and our love to those of you who reached out to us on social media or left us a review. Thank you so, so much. You really, truly never know how much you're doing for us when you leave us a great review because it means a lot. It gets us new listeners and it could potentially put us on the charts. I mean, we were there very briefly for a short period of time, like a few years ago, But we've since fallen off. So being on the charts is great because we get new listeners that way.
1: Yeah. And also just the people that all uh, share their Instagram stories and everything with us. That's also really kind and uh, very helpful as well. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, yes. Um, It was great seeing everyone's like Spotify year wrap up list. So that was fun. And every time you post us on your story, we'll be sure to share that. Absolutely. We just love when we can post things because it's it's nice to know that you appreciate us and you love us. Yeah, it's a good feeling. Yes, that validation. <laughs> <laughs> that someone's listening out there. Oh yeah. Not just our moms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so are you ready to get started?
1: I am, let's do it.
0: Today's episode will seem to begin as one of those 90s teenage rom-coms, but it will end with a twist of Stephen King. And that is not a poke at Stephen King's endings. I know that he's very sensitive about them. Uh, it's just obviously it will not end well because, as you all know, this is a true crime podcast.
1: That's true. When has when has there ever been an episode where we were like,
0: "It's just been a great story." Yeah, it's the whole a time. great
1: story. Yep, never. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's 2003, and the summer before college for two beautiful and popular best friends. They somehow hit the teenage fantasy jackpot and managed to get a house adult free for the whole summer. Two girls spend the weeks after their high school graduation throwing parties and having co ed sleepovers. However, when one friend arrived for the party they were supposed to be throwing early, she was confronted with a massacre. Bullet holes and bloody bodies were strewn across the living room, shell casings were everywhere. All of her friends had been murdered.
1: Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer,
0: has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another. Are we not? Lock your doors. Lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Christine Marie Powalilla was born on March 31st, 1986 to Lori and Charles Powalilla in Long Island, New York. Unfortunately, she suffered constant tragedy before she could even understand what was happening in the world around her. Her father, who was a construction worker in the city, died in a work-related accident. Bricks had fallen while he was working on a job site, and he was killed instantly.
1: That's really horrible. I think that's probably the one one of the worst things that you can either witness or even hear about when you work in construction. I've never um, witnessed anybody die, but I have witnessed people get really seriously injured. So have that having that happen is just terrible. It's it's terrible for everyone.
0: Right, and it's crazy because when you are working construction in the city, it does become really dangerous and really complicated because you are working either in tunnels, in holes, or with. Um, Like skyscrapers or like big tall buildings yeah there's i mean the possibility yeah
1: i mean the possibility for something to happen is pretty high i mean i watched somebody fall through um scaffolding yeah and that was pretty bad but he, he survived so but yeah that really sucks
0: now it is unclear how this trust was formed i was thinking that it could have been created if a wrongful death suit might have taken place and the company he was working for was found at fault for his accident or it could have been from family wealth. We really don't know, um, because after his death, Christine receives this massive trust fund, and is that it might even be a possibility that he was working for a union, and, and there might have been some money.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there could have been. I mean, I mean, if he if she was the beneficiary of his, you know, his pension and his annuity, and um, I know that some unions. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, some unions even have, um, like. Um, like for example, one in my union, I have like a uh, a dismemberment insurance. If I uh-huh. ever like lost a hand or an arm or a leg, uh, you know, I get a certain amount of money. So I'm sure, like maybe something happened with that. They get like kind of get like a kickback. They throw it back towards the uh, family member as well. So that's possible. You know, maybe there was money in involved, like from the fa- like family money, and then on top of that, maybe if he was working in a union or he had some sort of. Um, annuity or, or pension or whatever maybe they gave her the whole thing i don't know but it would make sense how she got all that money though
0: right and um well either way it was three hundred and sixty thousand dollar trust uh back in 1986 so that is a lot of money for that time period and it had all been left to christine by her father but of course she had to hit 18 first so after the death of her husband, Christine's mother began to drink. Over the next five years, she began to drink more and more. And Christine would have to pass between living with her maternal grandparents and her mother, who was at that point dealing with alcoholism, which is always very sad, Um, especially because a tragic loss is also involved. So it's it's complicated. And a young girl like that can't even understand what's happening to her. So... I'm sure she had to deal with a lot of complicated emotions at a very young age.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: So it was during this time at around five years old that she was also diagnosed with alopecia, which is a condition that causes hair loss. And um, sometimes it could be just minimal hair loss. But in Christine's case, it was a little bit more extensive. She had lost so much hair on her head that she did have to wear wigs At a very young age um until obviously adulthood and her hair fell out um in her eyebrows and her eyelashes as well so she um really suffered from alopecia
1: yeah really it's terrible i mean i feel like your self-esteem is kind of affected by that too which must be hard especially as a a woman of course you know i mean for anybody but um yeah it must be hard you know socially have to explain what's wrong Because some people don't even know, I'm sure. Yeah. Especially kids.
0: Yeah, that's what what I mean. Being diagnosed with that at such a young age, I could imagine is really difficult because kids don't understand and they also don't understand like social situations. Like I'm sure as an adult, it's difficult to deal with something like alopecia because people will always look at you twice or you'll have to answer a lot of questions about it. But adults can do so tactfully, whereas children are um, not as tactful and brutally honest and sometimes very cruel.
1: Yeah. And it's, that's like having like a spotlight on you 24-7 your entire childhood. So yeah. I'm sure that wasn't easy.
0: And most times in childhood, kids will do anything to avoid a spotlight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, Lori lost custody of Christine and her parents were unable to care for their granddaughter. Because of this, Christine was in and out of different foster homes, which is another tragic thing that happens in her life. So her father dies. Her mother's suffering from alcoholism, loses custody of her. She's diagnosed with alopecia, and now she's put into a foster home setting, which is difficult to begin with. And now you're coming in with a condition that makes you different and makes you feel, I could imagine, extremely isolated and... um, Really sad.
1: I mean, yeah. Well, it's it's always like a touchy thing. Like I'm sure. Like I mean, we can never understand what it's like to be in foster care, and I'm sure it's not good. But I feel like maybe here it's better that she's in foster care than with her mother because maybe her mother just can't handle being a mother right now. Um. So maybe that would it's a good thing, you know, right at, at this moment in time. Anyway.
0: No, I completely agree with you. Um, I think that it's a more depending on where she was sent. um, It would have been like in your in your mind, you would think this is going to create a more stable environment. But Christine moves from so many different foster homes that, again, she just has this consistent instability in her life and she has to change schools constantly so that becomes really difficult when you have a condition like alopecia because think about changing a school isn't just okay you're the new kid in school you're the new kid in school that has a condition that causes her to have to wear wigs not have eyelashes or eyebrows so you have to re-explain that to everyone and then you almost would feel like and I'm just speculating here. Why am I even going to explain anything to these people? I'd rather just not have friends and not talk to anyone because I'm probably going to move again in another six months.
1: Right. I mean, there's no stability period here. Um, yeah. I. I it's kind of one of those things that you kind of it's just a toss up because it's like what's what's worse, really? You know what I mean? Like the inconsistency of her bouncing around or her possibly being in a, in a in not the best you know home right now and her mom being you know a little you know occupied at the moment you know so I don't know but
0: yeah I think that talks to the difficult situation that our child care system workers have to face on a daily basis is what is going to be better and all cases are individualized and we never truly know what would have its best effects on the child. So it's complicated. You know,
1: what would have been great is, is if there was a family member that could have, you know, maybe stepped up. But I guess not. I mean, if that would have been, I mean, that probably would have happened if there was someone. So. Yeah.
0: Her grandparents were unable to because, I mean, obviously they were getting older and they were not in the best of health. So they weren't, they were unable to take her in. Yeah. So this was the situation that Christine lived in from age seven until 16 nine very long years during this time she developed a deep insecurity in herself she was painfully shy and had a very low opinion of herself she felt as if no one would ever want her as a friend or a girlfriend and most likely as as a daughter you know she i know that her father passed away but her mother's development of alcoholism would make you also feel unworthy like why I think children of alcoholics often do struggle with that um although alcoholism is a disease and it's not something that's easily controlled and it's a very difficult thing to try and take on because alcoholism is something that you suffer from for life but I find that children of alcoholics struggle um in thinking why didn't they stop for me You know, it makes you feel like you're not good enough.
1: Yeah, and I guess it kind of plays into the whole, well, you really don't know. I mean, you really don't know what it's like to suffer from that. I mean, you can't explain that um, to somebody. I mean, that's very hard. So I feel bad for her. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. So when she was 16 years old, her mother, Lori, finally won back custody after proving that she had been sober for a prolonged amount of time, which is Uh, phenomenal there you go yeah i mean good something good is happening this is good this is good um i i would say that that's probably um best case scenario but also something that's very rare
1: oh yeah absolutely
0: and to to meet the um requirements by the court is something that's really difficult to do and most um because of the pressures tend to back off from that so you know, props to her for doing it. It took nine years, but it seemed like something that she stuck with and it, it was a goal that she attained.
1: Yeah, and you have to think too, not only is it like she obtained that goal, but you have to think, you have to prove those steps that you have made Which means you probably had to get a lawyer involved to prove that, hey, look, my client is doing A, B, C, and D.
0: You have to prove sobriety. You have to prove that there's a a stable place to live. Right. And you have to prove that you can financially care for the child. Right. So
1: there's a lot of things involved for her to finally do it. And I know it took nine years, but you know what? At least she did it. So that's, you know, props to uh, the mom here. Yeah.
0: Lori remarried a man named Thomas Dick who had a great paying job. Lori felt like her new family needed a new start, so she moved to Friendswood, Texas, which was a part of the Clear Lake community, which is a suburb of Houston. It was there that she started at Clear Lake City High School as a junior. And this is a really affluent area, and it was a whole new world for both Christine and Lori, and that's because Thomas had a pretty good-paying job And I think that that probably had a lot to do with the decision in allowing Christine to return to Lori's care. So, of course, starting a new school was nothing new for Christine, but neither was the insecurity and anxiety that she felt. The students of the school did pick on her when she first got to the district. She was new and most of them had known each other their whole lives. And there was something different about her. Um, she had drawn on eyebrows and she wore wigs and they were all really cruel about it. It's
1: That's just, really sad.
0: It is. It's just so unfortunate when kids are are mean to each other. But I do have to say that I think there is a a difference in how children treat each other when there is an a long understanding taking place. Like, for example, she probably wouldn't have had any trouble in high school. I mean... There are going to be certain jerks that are just like always going to be there. But what I find is that when kids have grown up with each other and there's like a stability, like they all know about Christine. They know about her condition. Um, They know that it doesn't um, change anything about her. And she's still a beautiful person, whether or not she's wearing a wig or she has her own hair. And that's something they would learn, like say, like in elementary school. So then it would be nothing when by the time they get to high school.
1: Yeah, I don't know. And also, just to kind of uh, elaborate on that too, like I I don't know, I just feel like kids nowadays. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, okay, you could tell me, Um, but I feel like kids nowadays are a little bit more accepting than back when. Maybe like I don't know. This is in the nineties. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like even even for me, like when I graduated, compared to like the kids I see you teach, it seems to me like things improved even from that point
0: oh yeah you know like some of the the kids like well the community i teach in is a very small community it's like one square mile town so most of the kids had grown up with each other their entire lives but when we do have a student who is different in some way i really find that the community tends to embrace them and it's really heartwarming You know, you could cry thinking about it. Like, it's so cute. Right, right. So uh, that's what I've experienced as a high school teacher. And I think that's because it's a small community. And like I said, like, that was the point I was trying to make. Like, when they've known that child for such a long time, they tend to embrace, like, the differences about people versus this is a new kid coming in. And I find that it's often so difficult for new students in middle school and in high school to to come into a school environment and try and find their place within an already established group of kids and because everyone has their kind of groups already and that's really difficult to do and I could only imagine how much more difficult it would be if you had deep-seated insecurities and on top of that a condition that you're now going to have to explain especially at a time when you want boys to start noticing you because you're a 16 year old girl That's right, right the way it is you know exactly so christine had told her mother that she feared that the people of texas were going to be the same as the people back home meaning in new york she was wrong about that though at clear lake city high school there were two senior girls that were considered by most to be two of the most popular girls in the school their names were rachel coloradis and Tiffany Rowell. they saw what had been happening to Christine and how people weren't necessarily being as welcoming as they should have been. And they were kind of making fun of her a little bit. So they felt badly about how she was being treated. So the girls who were seniors, and Christine was a junior at the time, they chose to take Christine under their wing. And they started hanging out with her at lunch and after school, and it seems like it's just, like, a scene out of, like, She's All That, right? They they take her for a makeover. They help buy her um, a new wig that they feel, like, the color complements her. Like, it was kind of like a reddish brown. It was what was in, in 2004. Okay. Like, a reddish brown with the bangs. And, you know, they just helped her look her best. And that really... Made her feel really good. I mean, I think we can all understand that like when you feel like you look good, it increases your confidence and that can start internally changing who you are. And for the first time, she was happy when she looked in the mirror. That's awesome. Yeah. And Christine felt like she had Rachel and Tiffany to thank for that. So
1: that's really nice. Yeah, it
0: is. And especially because Rachel and Tiffany were the most popular girls in the school. I mean, these were two beautiful girls they kind of entered her into the society of the high school. So once the two girls started hanging out with her, everyone started to embrace her as well.
1: That's awesome. No, it really is.
0: It is. It's really important to have. I would say that's pretty rare that someone's going to be put in that social situation and they have the awareness at that age to do something good with your popularity versus something bad with it.
1: Well, it's all how you are raised. Yeah,
0: and I think it shows their their maturity yeah. at that age. So this continued for the rest of the school year. And at the end of the year, there was um, superlative voting that t- took place. You know, like best dressed or um, like all that stuff. Okay. I'm the senior class advisor, so we're actually doing that right now for the senior class. It always is... So drama filled, (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's I never look forward to it. (laughs) Um, and they always like call, they're like, Oh, but in eighth grade, this person won that. I'm like, Eighth grade, guys, like we were 13. Uh, When
1: you're that age, that's your life. So, (laughs) yeah, that's funny.
0: And Christine won something and she was really excited about it. She was voted most irresistible.
1: Wow, okay.
0: Think about how good that is for a girl who was so insecure about herself and felt like nobody wanted her. And now she's irresistible. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was it was done in um, a way that people really felt this way about her. Christine's personality began to ke- come out. She's hanging out with Rachel and Tiffany. And she did. She was a beautiful girl. And people were starting to see that. So she was shocked that she was being treated so nicely by her peers. And although this did not entirely help her with her confidence, she was introduced to many people and she began dating someone. His name was Christopher Snyder, and he was 21 years old. Once Christine started dating Christopher, the three girls started seeing less and less of each other. I think that's something that's common with like high school relationships is when your friend starts dating someone, they start hanging out more with the person they're dating than their friends. And this is something that happened, especially with Christine. And I think that, and we're going to get into their relationship in a second, but I think that's because Christine was in such awe that she was in a relationship that she was excited to be with him and excited to kind of do anything for him.
1: I mean, it makes sense.
0: So just to take a second to talk about Christine and Christopher. Although it seemed like Christine's life was headed in a positive direction, her new relationship would completely derail that path. Christine's relationship with Christopher was tumultuous. From various sources, including family members from both of the two sides, um, there was a lot of chaos. And that chaos was two-sided. Christopher was very controlling and manipulative of the insecure young girl. I mean, let's not forget. She's also 16 years old and he's 21. First of all, this relationship, um, although um, may seem like it's legal, like, okay, like 16 years old is the age of consent, but there's something called the Romeo and Juliet rule. So it, it ends up not being allowed to take place because he's more than three years older than her. Okay. So, technically, this relationship is even, like, illegal to be taking place because he's so much older than her. And this is a girl who's going to be easily manipulated by the first man who's showing her attention in her life. That's true. So, he played into her fears of being abandoned and oftentimes made her feel like if she didn't have him, she wouldn't have anyone. Christopher's family has also made various statements backed up with police reports that state that when the couple would fight, it would get physical and the police would have to break it up. There are even reports that the Snyder family members ha- had their lives threatened by Christine. So it seems like there's a different side to Christine here. Um, and psychologically, we could get into the reasons why she may be this way. But there was a little bit of a dark, angry side. And you can't say that a girl could go through life, be 16 years old, already have had her father die, been in foster care for nine years because her mother was an alcoholic and suffered from alopecia the whole time, um, making her feel like she doesn't like herself and, and not tell me that that person doesn't get angry sometimes
1: right no i i I agree, I mean, right, I mean, there's there's so much trauma all wrapped up in a bow right there. I mean, it's kind of yeah. it's kind of like you're waiting for that match to be lit kind of thing, you know, yeah. like something's brewing with yeah. inside of her, yeah,
0: and it comes out when she's fighting with with Christopher, but then there's also that desperate grab to keep him with her, and that's a very unhealthy toxic relationship. Absolutely. Now, at the same time, Christine's mother and stepfather did not like Christopher Snyder at all. He had spent his high school years in jail, and they did not like the path that he seemed to be taking Christine down. So this just seemed like one of those relationships that shouldn't be happening, but nobody could convince the two that are in it to end it.
1: Well, sometimes that's hard, you know, because like either side can be in that relationship for completely different reasons, you know? Right. And each one finds that the reason for them being with each other is super important to their life. And they're just not going to be able to see any, like they can't see themselves without that person. So. It's sad. Yeah, that is sad.
0: Especially when the kids are so young and they have their whole lives ahead of them, but they have no clue.
1: They have no clue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's take a break to hear from our first sponsor of the show, Athena Shave Club. Shaving is not the most fun activity, especially during the winter when harsh cold dry air adds to the shaving struggles. And that is even if I remember to buy the replacement heads for my overpriced razor. That only really helps with my dry skin for a short period of time before it becomes dried out. But ever since I've been using Athena Club razors, I actually look forward to shaving and I enjoy those extra few minutes in the shower. The Athena Club razor is expertly designed with the sharpest patented blades on the market. These one of a kind blades are enhanced with revolutionary water activated serum. They have shea butter and hydrolonic acid for skin soothing shave with maximum hydration. And honestly, dry skin this winter does not stand a chance when you use the Cloud Shave Foam and finish up after your shower with dewy body lotion to lock in that moisture. I not only get the closest shave I've ever felt, but the softest skin I've ever had. The best part is that the razor kit is only $9, which includes two five-blade razor heads, your choice of razor handle color, I chose sky blue, And the magnetic holder for easy storage which is small and looks so good in my shower i get new blades shipped regularly so i never run out athena club also has a bunch of other self-care essentials like a natural deodorant body lotion and face wipes they're even offered in bundles which would be the perfect stocking stuffer or gift this holiday season for the smoothest closest shave all year long do what I did, and switch to the Athena Club. Sign up today and you'll get 20% off your first order. Just go to athenaclub.com and use promo code TCC. That's Athena, A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with promo code TCC for 20% off. Okay, guys, let's get back to the show. But the fact that the three girls really weren't hanging out as much as they used to wasn't something that Rachel and Tiffany really noticed too much about. And that's because they were a little preoccupied. Tiffany, as I said in the introduction, um, hit the teenage jackpot that summer. She had been living with her father, who had recently remarried. Um, Her mother had previously passed away and he would be going on his honeymoon and then moving in with his new wife eventually um she would be moving in with them but the reason for her staying in the house without her father wasn't because um you know what i've heard in researching this case is people felt like that was um something that was inappropriate to do but this is something uh Tiffany's father loved her very much and He wanted her to be able to continue going to the same high school that she was going to. He was going to be moving to a different town, and he didn't want to have to pull her out of the school if her residence was no longer there. So he was saying, stay at the house that's close to the high school, and then, you know, afterwards, we'll move you in.
1: Okay. I mean, it probably shouldn't do that. But I but I can understand, I guess, his thought process, even though it's not allowed.
0: Yeah, Um, I will say that for the entire summer, she did have the house to herself.
1: I would not be cool with that at all.
0: A little bit of a recipe for disaster. You know what it is? As
1: as a parent, you're pretty much asking for something to go wrong if you do that. Yeah, because come on, we all have been there. I'm speaking to UK and our audience. I know. We've all been teenagers. We all know what happens.
0: I know. Even me, president of the book club, when my parents went away one night, I had people over. It was a big mistake.
1: Right. So you see what I'm saying?
0: My dad took the key away to the house.
1: You got in trouble. (laughs) I got in
0: so much trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I was no longer allowed. I had to knock on the door to get in my own house. After that,
1: (laughs) that's it. You got your permission revoked. I was cut off.
0: Even when I met you, I was 22. I'm like, I don't have have the key to my house. (laughs) Because something happened when I was 17.
1: (laughs) Your dad was never one to forget.
0: No, no. Okay, so because of all of that, Tiffany would be alone for the entire summer before college. She had asked if her best friend Rachel could stay with her so she wasn't by herself. And obviously her father agreed to let Rachel stay in the house with her. But the reason that Rachel was staying in the house was was a little different. Rachel was staying with Tiffany because she had gotten into a massive fight with her parents over a cell phone bill. So at that point, she was 18 years old and her parents kind of really wanted to give her space to, to cool off. And Rachel's parents, uh, especially her father have been very vocal about this case and very involved in it. Obviously, you'll see why in in a short while. But her father had said that he was very upset to go let Rachel stay in in Tiffany's house. And they were not under the impression that the house would be free of adults. So they kind of thought that Tiffany's father was going to be home. And he was just kind of like out, like doing like business trips and stuff like that. So he said, if I knew there wasn't going to be an adult there, we most likely wouldn't have let her stay the the full time, like just kind of like move in there. But she was at the point where her and her parents were, and this happens a lot of time with teenagers, really butting heads and maybe space was the best idea.
1: Yeah, I get, I get that. I also can't, I mean, I'm going to say it, but I, I, mean, I don't really blame them for that, obviously, or blame it, you know, but... I would think that I would speak to the owner of the home and the father of the other daughter just to find out, like, what the game plan is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not blam- I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying, like... No, never. You know, you would think that maybe, you know, maybe just, you know, maybe there were so many issues going on in the moment, you just kind of, you know, went over your head, maybe. Yeah. Or it was, just, it was an afterthought or whatever, but I feel like i wouldn't feel comfortable doing that yeah you know what i mean
0: well i know the two girls were best friends so maybe it was that they just assumed like okay hey i know that tiffany's dad's a good guy i've known him for like 10 years so
1: exactly i'm sure that that had a a, a role in that a factor in that decision yeah. yeah of course
0: um it's also a very nice neighborhood like really nice neighborhood so i mean there's there's that comfortability level where you feel like hey this is gonna be safe you know and Unfortunately, we always feel like nothing bad is going to happen to us. But um, Rachel's father did say he was, you know, sad leaving his daughter because you always want to have your kids close. So it's just, you know, it's sad. So the two girls were basically on their own. But of course, teenagers, if given an inch, will always take a mile, like you said. Tiffany also invited her boyfriend, Marcus Purcella, and his cousin, Adelbert Sanchez, to stay with them as well. So now there's basically four teens living in the house. The two girls and the two boys. So Tiffany's boyfriend is there, Marcus, and his cousin, Adelbert.
1: Now I really don't like it. Yeah. Now you have, you know, boys in there now.
0: I know. You've just become a father.
1: Oh, uh, you know what? In the yeah. past five minutes. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> i'm definitely gonna be like one of those dads if if i have a daughter um i really hope i don't because i know i'm gonna be crazy yeah you're like, scared you're not gonna go out nope <laughs> hey let's have a talk man <laughs>
0: oh my god i'm gonna be
1: bad i know I'm, you're gonna have to come get me all right john enough all
0: right come, come on come here. on
1: yeah oh yeah
0: he's only 12 <laughs> yeah
1: oh no that will be me for sure
0: well, Marcus and Adelbert were good kids, and they had a really promising future ahead of them. Like, they had plans. Marcus had earned his mechanic certificate and planned on starting college with Tiffany in the fall. He was going to major in business, and his eventual goal was to open up a mechanic shop, which seemed good. I mean, he had the skills to do it, and now he just wanted to get the business sense. I mean, it's, like, it's a good approach. Adelbert had just earned his GED at night school and he had made the decision to go to college and his major was going to be in computer science. So he had dropped out of high school, but he was really intelligent. So he was encouraged to, hey, you, especially with computers, like he was really talented. So earn your GED and do something that's going to make you a lot of money in your life. I mean, this is something you're good at. And he made the effort while he was working. He was going to night school, earned his GED, and he was going to major in computer science. That's a really difficult major to have. It's very complicated. Oh, yeah. However, in the interim, the two boys were dabbling in some dangerous things. At the same time, they were still teenage boys, right? So they were very small-time, very small-time drug dealers. And... This is something that would help them, right? I mean, now they got this party house. And Adelbert and Marcus were known for, like, being the guys that had pot or had pills. But they dealt mainly just to their people they knew, their friends. They weren't, like, any, like, kind of big time anything. They were just the guys that people always went to. Right. Right. And now that they are living in a party house where it's there, they're free to, like, do their transactions right in the living room, you know, or have people just stop at Tiffany's house and pick something up. I mean, that's kind of what began happening that summer.
1: So, like, We're slowly adding the ingredients into the bowl.
0: Yeah, it's bad.
1: I don't like where this is going.
0: It's not good. The perfect storm. So word is going to spread pretty quickly that Tiffany's house was not just the party house, but now they could probably get any type of drugs they were looking for. And of course, this began to attract some shady characters. Within two weeks of having the house, the place was a bit of a mess. And whenever they would have a party, a lot of people would begin to come that they had never met before. So Rachel and Tiffany now had a lot on their hands. They liked the parties, but the cleaning was a lot to keep up with, especially because they both had part-time jobs. And I mean, I can imagine that that becomes overwhelming. First of all, everyone's expecting a party every week, right? Or even during the weekday. And now you have people coming to your house that you have no idea who they are.
1: Right, I mean, we don't know if they're there to buy, you know, drugs or actually be there for like the like a party or whatever. Like, Like you don't know what's going on. Innocent high
0: school party, right? But I will say that it's a little bit scary, and I don't think teenagers would kind of think of it it this way. But now you got some shady characters who now know it's just like four teenagers living alone. Right.
1: Also, you're attracting the wrong kinds of people. Yeah. You're also attracting the possibility that. You could have a cop or cops come to the house as well. Don't forget.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised because this is a pretty affluent neighborhood that the police have not been called previously.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, that could be for many reasons. Maybe it's on a secluded area in a secluded area, maybe, or maybe it
0: just uh, they've kept it quiet. They've
1: kept it quiet. Maybe or maybe they, they're friends with the father and they don't want to, like, cause any problems or. I don't know, you know how it is when you have nice yeah. neighbors. You know, you don't wanna you know, your toleration for things might be a little higher than normal. Yes. If you're on, you know, good standings with that other person. So Yeah, especially I don't
0: know. if you understand the situation. Yeah. But still, um, of course it was Friday night, so Rachel and Tiffany were planning on having another party. And this brings us to July eighteenth, two thousand and three. One of the girl's friends arrived at the house before the party was supposed to start. She knocked on the door but didn't get a response. She knew the door would be open, so she let herself in. She was confronted with a horrific scene. Her friend Rachel was lying face down on the floor. Blood was pooled on the ground and sprayed on the walls. There were shell casings and bullet holes everywhere. When she looked up, she saw two others. Tiffany and Adelbert clearly dead on the couch. The friend screamed and ran out of the house. Her boyfriend, who had been waiting in the car, um, jumped out of the car to to find out what was wrong and she yelled at him to get the police. He ran from the car and into the house to see what had upset his girlfriend so much, who was now down on her knees on the grass in in the front lawn. And he too ran from the house when he saw the scene that lay before him. His girlfriend was sobbing on the ground and he saw a neighbor that was headed to his car talking on his cell phone. Now it's 2003 so not everyone had a cell phone, so this neighbor had one. And he obviously doesn't want to go back in the house and call 911 to see that scene again. So he yelled to the man call the police. And and that's how the police were notified that this scene had was in the house so when the police arrived at the scene they were shocked i mean this was a mass murder and something like this had never occurred in the clear lake community ever
1: i mean i think it's always really shocking um in the you know when you have these affluent communities and then something really bad happens and i always (laughs) i think that's why i like true crime Uh, But I will say, like, I always get a kick out of when they'll interview somebody and they'll go, oh, that would never happen in our town. Right. Or, oh, what? No way. And um, I always go, yes way. Because true crime exists everywhere. No matter where you are and no matter what town, no matter how secure you think you are, you know, there's always a possibility. and. I never really thought that way until I met Kay, actually. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I never really thought that way, but maybe it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, you know, I always get a kick out of that. Oh, never here. No, never.
0: No, danger's all around you. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes it's the people you know that are, that that can hurt you. Yeah. You know? So based on a forensic examination of the scene and an autopsy from the medical examiner, the following was determined to have happened to the teenagers. Adelbert, who was also known as D, was found sitting on the couch. His feet were still propped up. He was killed by multiple gunshot wounds in the middle of his forehead, neck, left arm, and his torso. His left shoulder was also, like, nicked. It wasn't like a gunshot wound, but it was a graze, basically. Marcus Priscilla was shot in the head, stomach, right forearm, and his shoulder. There was a graze wound on his chest. He had been beaten as well, and it was later determined that it seemed that he was hit with the butt of a gun in the back of his head and the left side of his temple. Star-shaped powder of residue from close contact of the gun was found on his head. And Marcus had been found behind the couch. So that's why at first, uh, when the friend and her boyfriend came in, they only saw the three bodies. It was because Marcus was actually on the other side of the couch. Okay. Tiffany was also on the couch. She was kind of sitting with the Delbert. Her feet were also still up. So it seemed like the two teenagers were, were watching TV when this took place. And she had a bullet wound in her forehead, chin, Right cheek, right shoulder, her abdomen, her right knee, and her shin. But Rachel had been the worst. Her skull nearly caved in, broken so badly that you could see brain matter. She had been shot directly in the vagina, five shots into her right thigh, three into her left thigh, one in her right foot, and once in her buttock as she had most likely tried to run away at the beginning of seeing the intruders. She was found at the base of the TV. Bruises were present on the back of her left hand, and this is something that the victim sustained while trying to defend herself from the beating that she received uh, that obviously left those wounds on her skull. Um, This meant that it had been the beating and not the gunshot wounds that killed her, because she was able to be bruised by the the violent attack that took place. Right. Also, in her hand, she held a clump of her own hair, so that just showed you how, like, violent the attack was to her. Like she had basically been trying to hold her head as she was being, and they later determined determined that the weapon was again the butt of a gun so as she was being basically pistol whipped she was holding her head trying to protect herself but the attack was so violent she ended up pulling her own hair from her head oh my god yeah it was extremely brutal
1: i mean that is pretty bad i mean i mean all of these victims are i mean this is this wasn't just like a um a drive-by this was like they went in and they just lit up the entire place and then just, yes, you, you know, they didn't even care at all. Like, it, it took a little bit. I'm, what I'm trying to say here is I think there was more thought that went into this than just the drive-by.
0: Yeah. And this is just utter carnage.
1: Oh, yeah. That has been left.
0: Yeah. And from the crime scene, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to deduce what took place was someone came to the door and it was Rachel who went to answer the door. And when she saw, I guess... I don't know how the confrontation began. Um, We'll get to that. But when she was confronted, it seems like she might have been shot and then turned to run and then was continued to have been shot. Yeah. And then when the person or persons then got into the living room, that's when they found Tiffany and Adelbert sitting on the couch And Marcus was standing behind the couch, and then they were basically just mowed down, is what it looks like.
1: Yeah, I mean that's pretty sick. Yeah, I mean it's brutal. I mean yeah, exactly. And you know what? The injuries, a lot of them were gunshots to like the head, and I always feel like. I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, I mean, if you're, you know, people who shoot other people, they're not good people, uh, you know. Um, but I feel like it's more so when you, we, when your intent is to totally kill. Like, you know what I mean? Right. I feel like it's even further. It's even worse. Like you're shooting to kill because you're shooting them in the, in the head. No, I completely like, agree with you. Almost like execution style. Yeah. For, um. Other than like you know shooting people in the body, I mean it's still bad, but I mean, of course it's bad. You know, but the head, it's just like, you know what you're doing. Like, you know, by taking this shot, you're killing somebody. Right. Like, instantly.
0: Completely intentional. Yeah,
1: 100%. It's brutal.
0: I mean, uh, honestly, I mean, the detectives and the crime scene investigators that went to this scene, they, they really all said this was beyond a crime scene. Yeah. This was a massacre that had taken place. Yeah. And oh, it yeah. was really hard to see. And you can understand why those two teenagers that found it were so affected. Imagine walking in on that.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure.
0: So it was determined that two weapons had been used in the commission of this crime. One of the weapons was a 9mm and the other a thirty-eight caliber, as those were the casings that were found at the scene. What the police did was question everyone that went to those parties over the past two weeks it was clear that there had been some shady characters and it did appear that someone had ransacked the collection of prescription pills that the boys had. So this is why the first thought process was that the murders were drug related or maybe the boys or all of them for that matter may have gotten themselves involved with the wrong people or maybe they owed money to the wrong people.
1: I mean, yeah, it's a possibility. I mean, the moment that you put – you're putting drugs into the mix and then just like a –
0: And you're selling drugs out of the house. Yes,
1: and then also this revolving door of people in and out. You don't know how many people – like each one of those people that were in there to buy drugs probably know 10 people that do the same thing You know that will spread the message, hey, listen, this house, there's a couple teenagers in there. They got drugs. They probably have money on them.
0: Well, that's like what happened with our episode with the Chey family. Exactly. So.
1: So it's like it's it's word of mouth, you mm-hmm. know, through like you know, those you know that type of crime. Uh, those people that people that are involved in that, and it just spreads like wildfire. It Correct. only takes one person to say, "Hey, man, listen, get your gun. We can go over there and just take and everything. get drugs and money. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's or, an affluent area, so yeah. you would
0: assume there's money in the house too. Right. But all of the interviews with all of the people that attended the parties, um, those that were friends and those that were not, didn't really go anywhere. And it was clear that Marcus and Adelbert were only dealing to their close friends. There were also no fights at any of the parties, nor did anyone owe anyone money. So while the teenagers of Clear Lake were being interviewed, so were the neighbors of Tiffany. And it was this canvassing that provided the police with their first lead, Craig and Michelle Latimer. They were neighbors of Tiffany, and they had seen something suspicious. At 3.15, their dog started barking like crazy. Michelle had asked her husband to go let the dog in, and when he did, he saw two people dressed in strange clothing for the time of year walking around Tiffany's house. So he asked his wife to come see as well. And they both found it to be really strange behavior. Um, it was mid-July in Texas. So to be wearing like all black, like long sleeves, the guy was in a hoodie. Like it was just really bizarre because it was so hot.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not normal for someone to wear black like that in Texas. I I wouldn't even wear black if it's f- like 50 degrees outside because I'm always <laughs> hot. Um, so yeah, that's that's weird, you know, behavior.
0: Right, so now here is our first lead. But before we get further into it, we're going to take a break to hear from our second sponsor of the day, Acorn TV. What would you do if you met the love of your life, but your relationship was forbidden? Would you risk it all for the happily ever after or abide by your family's religious traditions? This is a story of a suitable boy a lavish, transportive series on Egghorn TV. Set in vibrant 1950s India, A Suitable Boy is an epic tale of life and love. This gorgeously filmed period drama from the BBC is based on the best-selling novel of the same name by Vikram Seth. A Suitable Boy follows four families who live in a newly independent India during a time of political and religious turmoil. As each of their stories unfold, the families are interwoven by marriage, friendship, and ambition. At the center of A Suitable Boy is Lata, a free-spirited 19-year-old college student of literature. Old traditions of an overbearing mother have her life mapped out as the search for a suitor begins. Parallel to Lata's story is her brother-in-law, young and handsome Man who enjoys life regardless of the consequences. Mon's flirtation with a beautiful courtesan turns into something bigger than passion, much to the despair of his politician father. As Latsa finds herself and her voice, India prepares itself for its first national election. A suitable boy brilliantly parallels stories of self-discovery and the political history of India, finding its own voice too. I love this series and the depiction of what life was like in post-independent India. And I have to say, being a history teacher, it is unbelievably historically accurate. And I love the idea of combining the stories of individualized self-actualization of the characters in the story and the people. I just think it's a beautiful tale to tell. So to watch A Suitable Boy, sign up for Acorn TV today and you'll get a free 30-day trial. Just go to eggcorn.tv and use our promo code TCC. That's A-C-O-R-N code TCC, to unlock a 30-day free trial and start watching A Suitable Boy. Okay guys, back to the show. The investigators had the couple work with a sketch artist and they described in a lot of detail what they had seen that afternoon. They said the people who were wandering around Tiffany's house were male and female. She had to have been around 18 to 20 years old. She was very skinny, around 115 pounds, and she had long, straight blonde hair. The top of her head was covered by a black bandana, and she was wearing long black sleeve shirt, and white shorts with platform black sandals. The man was also thin and dressed completely in black. He was shorter than the female appeared, and then they describe the pair's faces in as much detail as possible. These two have an incredible memory.
1: Yeah, really. I mean to remember all that,
0: that's uh But I feel like when you think there's something wrong, your memory kind of kicks into high gear.
1: I mean I guess so, yeah. I mean, especially if you've had if you have the time to kinda like see everything process it. you know what i mean yeah
0: so this sketch was placed everywhere in the area and rachel's father was upset that basically no one was coming forward and this is when he kind of gets really involved in the case and he takes things into his own hands he goes door to door within the clear lake community area and he tries to raise money for a reward he was able to raise one hundred thousand dollars with the help of the community And he then placed the reward along with the sketches on 15 different billboards throughout the Houston area. Like He was basically like, I'm getting my daughter's case out there. We're going to solve this murder. Someone murdered her. And unfortunately, I feel like he does wrestle with a little bit of guilt because he allowed her to stay at Tiffany's house.
1: Right. I mean, I, I could see how that. You know would happen.
0: It's very unfortunate. Um,
1: but you know, I mean, at least he's trying to get the message out there. Um, you know, so there could be more pressure on this case to really find out what's going on. You know what I mean? And, and to solve the murder. I mean, I mean, that's what the goal is, right? Yes. I mean, you have to. These people who did this need to be held accountable. So we got to find them.
0: Right, and that's that's the, his goal. So Christine was also devastated by what happened to the two beautiful girls that had reached out to lend her a helping hand when she first moved to the area a year prior. Um, Although she hadn't been hanging out with them, she still considered them her really close friends. And her mother reported that she cried for days after the news of their murder broke. She was even too devastated to attend the funeral of the four deceased teenagers, which I could only imagine would have been tragic to attend. Eventually, all leads on who this mysterious couple was or who could have wanted to hurt these teens went cold, and so did the case. The tragedy of these senseless crimes was deeply felt, but the family members that survived their children and siblings were just not going to get any answers, and that was something that they were trying to cope with. I mean, they tried to keep the case alive in the media, but... You know, with our 24-hour news cycle, it's a little difficult to do. And this was supposed to have been the teen's most exciting time in their lives. But instead, they they had been buried. And that's pretty hard to cope with. Christine also confided to some family members that she wrestled with a little bit of guilt herself. Although Rachel and Tiffany had made it abundantly clear to Christine that they didn't want her to continue dating Christopher that he was bad news and didn't treat her well, Christine didn't follow their wishes. In fact, after the death of her friends, it was like Christine clung closer to her boyfriend. The two continued to enable each other and follow the wrong path that they were already on. Their drinking and pot smoking turned into using cocaine, and that turned quickly into using heroin. This is while Christine is still enrolled as a senior at clear lake city high school of course this tumultuous relationship coupled with her avid drug use led to failing grades and christine was able to eventually walk in her graduation but didn't receive her diploma we also do something similar too where like if a senior fails a class that's needed for a graduation requirement they're allowed to have senior privileges like go to prom go to graduation project graduation all that stuff but in order to receive the actual diploma they have to attend summer school
1: okay I mean that's not I mean that's not the worst thing in the world I mean you would hope by the time you're a senior that you don't need to do that but I mean at if it's least, one class yeah. like,
0: why hurt them right you know? which is which is good yes
1: which is nice on your on your part and right. the school
0: so the only thing is that Christine didn't attend the summer school. Oh, okay. Yeah, the whole part is like, you got to do that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so even though she walked for her graduation, she never received her diploma. But I mean, I-, I felt, I feel like Christine felt as if she had that trust to fall back on. So she wasn't necessarily like, oh, I need to go to college, she thought. You know, to, a, to an uh, 18-year-old's. seems like you have so much money and you could, like, live off of it. But in reality, you can't.
1: (laughs) No, you can't.
0: Because she was now not attending school any longer, Christine and Christopher spent their days and nights together and got further into their addictions to the dismay of their families. I mean, you have to think, like, oh, it just kind of makes you upset. It's like, Christine, it could have been so good. Like... It seemed like her life was taking a, a right turn, you know, and she just went left.
1: Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, the thing—the only thing you could hope for is someone that's had such a tumultuous, you know, you know, life and that went through so many bad things. Right. You know, you would—that's your hopes—is that you know she turns it around. You know, so right, that
0: would be the the hope that, that is is would happen. <laughs> I think you said that, and I just repeated it. I don't
1: even know, but we you know we're, we're all it's right. it's okay all right.
0: <laughs> in October of two thousand and three, the couple got arrested for theft. They were both given six months probation, but Christopher had to serve ten days in jail. Weeks later. Christopher was arrested for possession, and because he was also on probation in the state of Kentucky, he received a little bit of a harsher sentence he had to receive 20 days in jail and then he was sent back to Kentucky because basically the state of Texas was like we do, we no longer want this person to be a resident here.
1: Oh wow. Okay.
0: So Christopher had to leave and that was definitely what finally broke the couple up.
1: I mean, that's great news. Yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> yes. So Christine was able to get over her breakup with Christopher quite quickly. Um, This could be because of the drugs that she was still taking or because she was really preoccupied in cashing in her trust fund. She had finally turned 18 and the $360,000 was all hers. And it's a lot of money for an 18-year-old to get their hands on, especially one with a drug problem. When she got the money, she bought an $85,000 condo outright and two cars. I mean, not the worst choice for someone who has a drug addiction, right? That's true. And it's not all the money. Like, she didn't overspend and get this, like, really big house. You know what I mean? Yeah. But despite the fact that she already had cars, she was arrested for stealing a car. She was given probation and a court-mandated session in rehab. Over the next year, she would be in and out of three separate rehab facilities. It was during her third stint in rehab that Christine met her future husband, Justin Rott. Justin was in rehab for his addiction to heroin, and although it was against the rules, the two began a relationship. And one day, while still in the facility, Justin asked Christine to marry him. She told him that before she said yes, she wanted him to meet her family. So the couple got permission to leave and visit Christine's family, who were still living in Texas. Christine's mother and stepfather really did like Justin Rott when they met him. They said that he was a really kind-spirited person, and he was the kind of man that they wanted Christine to end up with. And they felt that the two of them could really work on their sobriety together. I mean, I feel like that's uh, that's a little... Like, you don't know. Like, I I would think it would be better if the two of them were further along in their sobriety. And then they started a relationship. Because it could go one way or the other. Like, they could really support each other because they understand what it's like to be sober. Or if one falls, the other falls.
1: Right. I mean, and, and I don't want to... I, I don't have any... I've never had any addictions like that before, so I can't understand. But I will say this, though. Sometimes people do drugs for other reasons. There could be um, underlining problems, too, that maybe need to be addressed on top of the actual addiction itself. That's very true. And I feel like when you have something like that, the last thing you want to do is get into a relationship. I feel like it's not fair to you, and it's also not fair to the person you're with that also suffers from a drug problem and possibly has a drug problem because they started doing drugs because of something else possibly. I always feel like there's more than just one layer um, when people have, you know, addictions or any sort of issues that they need to work out. And that's why they're there. Um, So I think it's just like that's bad, like to get into a relationship because you want to be the best version of yourself, right? Right. You you know, when you get into a relationship with someone, whether you're in rehab or not, you know, you always want to be able to do that. So you got to be right first.
0: I completely agree with that. You're so wise. I try. (laughs) So Christine told her parents that the one thing that she really wanted, though, was to return home and basically end her stint in rehab a little bit earlier than she should be. And she said that her and Justin were, were planning to leave rehab and basically asking for her parents' blessing, thinking that. You know, their daughter was good. Again, they were really supportive in them leaving and thinking that, okay maybe these two have a future together. And hey, this guy's a hell of a lot better than Christopher Snyder. You know, that's what they're thinking. Yeah. Um, They told her that they would do whatever they could to support Christine and her now new fiance. Christine's stepfather even told Justin that he would set him up as a plumber's apprentice so the two could really start their new lives together.
1: I mean that's a really nice gesture. Gesture, um, you know, and, and it's really helpful to do that. You're setting someone up for a future, so that's very kind.
0: Yeah, and it's it's hard to get that apprenticeship, I believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's it's difficult. You have to apply for that, and, and
0: you need to know someone you that need to would to know help
1: somebody. You. Yeah, so I mean, you know, that's good. <laughs> yeah,
0: and even when asked about it, Justin said that Christine's parents were wonderful loving people and that he was very grateful to them for not only the generosity that they showed him but the kindness like he said you know even though I was in rehab for my heroin addiction like they treated me as as a person as a human being and I felt accepted and understood by them so he did say they were great people that's awesome yeah it is So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break to hear from our final sponsor of the episode, Vistaprint. The holidays are approaching and you know what that means. The careful craft of regifting is to begin. Have you ever received something that you just know has passed several hands before you? One year at work through Secret Santa setup, I received a gift that actually had the person's name still on it. They'd forgotten to take the tag off. Well, needless to say, I knew who my secret Santa was. Well, a gift like that isn't the best to receive. Absolutely zero thought went into it. And you never want to be the re gifter. Well, Vista Prints specializes in unregiftable gifts gifts so unique and personal that you wouldn't dream of passing them on. One off gifts like custom mugs and canvas prints, photo books, and wall calendars. They're the kind of thoughtful gifts you really can't wait to give because they spark so much surprise and joy. At Vistaprint, you can also create your own personalized holiday cards, adding your photos and messages and adding special finishing touches like embossed foil and scalloped edges. So rather than giving an unoriginal gift this holiday, make it an unregiftable with a custom gift from Vistaprint. Go to vistaprint.com slash TCC to get started on your unregiftable gift. The holidays are coming up and don't miss your chance to get an unregiftable gift. Get started today at vistaprint.com slash TCC. Okay, guys, let's get back to the show. Because the couple was deciding to leave the rehab facility early, they were required to enter into a halfway house. They were both staying at separate houses when they made their choice to have a small ceremony and be married by a justice of the peace. Once they were able to leave the halfway house, the couple moved into the condo that Christine had bought. Justin Roth thought that everything in his life was going well. He was going to have a great job and he was living a drug-free life with his new wife. However, in July of 2005, a dark cloud was going to fall over his new marriage. The couple was watching TV one night in the condo, and a news story about the unsolved Clear Lake murders came on. At the end of the segment, the sketch was shown of the subjects. Christine acted very strangely throughout the whole show, and she seemed unnerved. At the end, she asked Justin if the sketch looked like her. It was then that Justin would recall that he knew that his wife was some way involved in the murders.
1: Oh my God.
0: Okay. So that sketch that the couple saw looks a little bit like Christine.
1: No, don't. Okay. Okay.
0: Two weeks later, the couple would regress. After seeing the sketch, Justin said that Christine was teetering on the edge of her sobriety, but what eventually pushed her over the edge was Hurricane Rita that hit Texas. The couple had to leave the condo because it was in an area that was unsafe, and they had nowhere to stay because both of their parents were not staying in the area during the time of the hurricane. There was a lot of evacuations that took place. The couple, feeling vulnerable and displaced because they had to live in a hotel, and Christine, potentially feeling guilty, began using heroin. The couple ended up in a hotel room outside of San Antonio. They went on a seven-month downward spiral where they used heroin and lived off of junk food. And the only thing that ended it was the police knocking on their door. However, they were not there to arrest the couple for possession. They were there to arrest Christine for murder.
1: No. Are you serious?
0: It was Justin Rott who had made an anonymous tip earlier that week. He called the tip line that was available for the Clear Lake City Police in the murders that had occurred in 2003. He said that his wife had confessed that she was involved in the murders and that she had committed them with her boyfriend at the time.
1: The guy in Kentucky? Yes. Oh my God. Okay.
0: So the police got warrants for both Christine and her ex-boyfriend, Christopher Snyder, who at that point was living in Greenville, South Carolina. When Christine was arrested, she found a... When Christine was arrested, she was found in a filthy hotel room with over 100 used needles, old food all over the dressers, and... Okay, guys, it's going to be really rough. They actually had their dog staying with them, but, like, the dog poop was, like, all over the hotel room and smeared on the walls and stuff. Like, it was just, they were living in absolute filth. It was terrible.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. So, Christine actually had to go through several detox uh, treatments and different facilities before she was fully questioned by police. Um, There is some discrepancy about some of the questioning that took place while she might have still been under the influence of heroin or detoxing from that heroin. But I mean, those statements were really kind of incoherent and she was telling a different story at the time. So the, the story that she and her defense stick with is a different story than what was told in the original statements. So they become inconsequential to the trial. Okay, okay. When she was questioned, obviously she had said many different stories as to what happened um during her interviews. But the eventual series of events that she agreed to having have happened um was that you know Christopher Snyder was kind of the aggressor here in this story. She was very adamant that he was abusive to her verbally, sometimes physically. But that he really played upon her vulnerabilities and her insecurities. And she was in an abusive relationship. And Christopher Snyder did a really good job at manipulating her and making her feel like, oh, those girls don't like you. Those girls are like you're their plaything. You're like their doll that they're dressing up. They don't care about you. Like, are they inviting you to the parties that they're having every week? So he like kind of was like egging away at her but i will say what we don't get to hear is christopher snyder's side of the story i mean
1: that's interesting you should have both sides of the story
0: well we don't get to hear christopher's side of the story because when he knew that police were closing in on him in greenville south carolina he ran into the woods as they were chasing him with a bottle of pills and soda was able to hide and committed suicide
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's really sad because... It's
0: all very tragic. It's like now
1: we really don't know. I mean, we, we have her side, but we don't have his side. Um, so we really don't know the whole story here. Correct. We just know that they were involved, but to what capacity? Like, what really took place? Who was the... Aggressor.
0: Aggressor here. Right. So Christine's story was that when... She was in high school and she was dating Chris that obviously he was telling her that Rachel and Tiffany were using her. And, you know, they had kind of dropped her once they started having this party house. And Christine said that this bothered her deeply because of her insecurities and her fear of abandonments. Also, she stated that she had always been insanely jealous of the two girls in their lives and their popularity and their beauty. So even though she was friendly with them, there was this intense jealousy that lived within her that I'm sure stems from that entire childhood that we covered. You know, like, look at these girls. They're beautiful. They don't have to try. She did. She felt like she did because of her alopecia. Look at these two girls that have these families that love them. I spent nine years in foster care, right? I mean, this resentment is very deep rooted. And even though Tiffany and Rachel did everything for her, they became what she hated the most, like what she wanted to have had in her life.
1: It's really sad, actually. Yeah, it's like this is what you get for being for helping for helping someone and being nice. Yeah, um, that's sad.
0: So she stated that when her and Christopher discussed the girls and Marcus and Adelbert, they decided that what they were going to do was kind of like get back at them and go to the house and steal drugs and money. Because don't forget at the time Christopher Snyder also had a, a pretty and, and so did Christine, a pill habit.
1: Right, and then also you said that he had a, bur- a burglary charge, right?
0: Yes, they had both, yeah, theft.
1: Right, so he pro- that's probably was the plan, was to go there and take it.
0: Right. Well, Christine said no one was supposed to be home. But when they snuck around the house, they saw that they were home. So Christopher went back to the car and pulled out a gun. Well, Christine said that no one was supposed to be home. But when they snuck around the house and they saw that they were home, Christopher did not abandon the plan. Instead, he pulled out a gun, and he gave another one to her. They knocked on the door, and they were greeted by Tiffany. Christine said that as soon as the door opened, Christopher stepped in and started shooting. She said that they moved further into the house and continued to shoot. She then said that she fired her gun and lost control of the weapon, and that she was just continuing to shoot blindly as she cried the whole entire time. Once everyone was on the ground, they went through the little drugs that were there and the money that was in the house, but it ended up not being a lot. They mean, like we said, they were very small time. However, before they completely fled the scene, Christopher apparently told Christine that she had to go back and make sure that everyone was dead. And this is when Christine went back into the house. And when she did so, she found Rachel was still alive. She was crawling across the floor, shot several times. She had her cell phone in her hand and she was attempting to call 911. But she couldn't speak because she was choking on her own blood. This is when Christine attacked Rachel. So severely that her skull was broken and her brain matter exposed, like we explained before. And she had a clump of her own hair in her hands. The girl that had helped her have peace in her life for the first time. It's really sad. So Christine was maintaining that Christopher was the aggressor and that she was acting on his behalf. However, medical examiners would testify during Christine's trial that there was severe overkill when it came to the females. That just wasn't present in Endelbert and Marcus's murders. I mean, Marcus, and this was never truly explained. Marcus had been pistol whipped as well. So um, what investigators do believe is that maybe Christine had thought that he might have still been alive. So she had hit him a few times, too. But other than that, the overkill was towards the females. More bullet wounds. I mean, look at what happened to poor Rachel. And it seemed as if the crimes were directed towards the females. So was Christopher Snyder the aggressor? Or was it the person who had intent to hurt the females? Christine?
1: Well, she felt like she was wronged. Yeah. So it would make sense that it would be her right not chris snyder
0: right like she's not just acting on christopher snyder's behalf i mean they i mean and in the trial it, it became very graphic but they're like the females although i mean you can make the argument that like rachel was running away the females were shot in like in both of them like really rachel was shot directly in her vagina but where tiffany was shot it was very close to it her her lower abdomen and uh rachel's the whole back of Rachel's butt was shot, and like it was just kind of like it was sexual places to be shot in. You right. know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. And then the attack on Rachel was overkill, horrible. She was clearly dead. Oh yeah, she smashed her skull in.
1: I mean, honestly, it's it's such a brutal like case. Like like yeah. I couldn't imagine a cop being there and and watching. And they said seeing that. they
0: will never forget that scene that it still haunts them to this day the people that found it
1: i mean yeah i mean the investigators and the people how could you how could you not for you know that's you'll never forget that
0: well whether or not christine was working on christopher's behalf or her own the jury found her guilty of murder because she committed the murders when she was 17 years old she was sentenced as a minor really Yes, which is a very interesting and controversial thing that the court did. Because a lot of times minors are are sentenced as adults. So it's like weird to revert it. And she was 17, just about to be 18. So it was a pretty interesting uh, choice here. And for four murders. And she received 40 years and she got 40 years in prison.
1: I mean, 40, 40 years is still, you know, essentially her whole life anyway. Yes. Um, but yeah I do find that very odd that they would say that you know charge her from when she committed the crime and not right now I mean I guess I don't know you know what it is I guess like for me I'm not a court expert I'm not like a legal analyst but I just right. find that that's a little bizarre to do to, to just let her get 40 years I mean it's 40 years is still 40 years but I don't know to 4 people dead brutally i might add yes um to get 40 years i feel like I, I would i would have liked more but i don't know i just feel like it's it's so wrong that these kids now their their lives were cut short they never got to experience experience things
0: And then christopher Snyder commits yeah. suicide
1: yeah and then he he kills himself he commits suicide mm-hmm. and then you know i think the hardest part is these two girls were helping you. They were trying to be your friend. Yeah. It wasn't like you were a charity case or anything. They were your friends. Yeah,
0: it was genuine and and everyone did say that within the school, within the community, you know, their friends, their families, that it was genuine. It was never done with any ill intent or uh like a doll that they wanted to dress up. They right. really cared about her and they felt badly about how she was treated and the life that she had. So they <clears throat> So they did care about her. And I think that that was really evident in the fact that they wanted her to break up with Christopher Snyder. And I think that the aggression from him came from that they were trying to pull her away from him. So the aggression, I think, could have been two sided. But what Christopher Snyder, I think, unleashed within Christine was that deep seated resentment and jealousy that she may have had towards the girls.
1: Yeah. And I think he might have rubbed off on her a little bit. Yeah. And also let's not forget the fact that, you know, she was under somewhat of influence of drugs. I'm not saying yeah, No, they were taking know, drugs. yeah they I, were. I don't want to say, oh yeah, you know, drugs make you go kill people, but I'm just saying that, you know, she also wasn't thinking clearly. She was having somebody rub off on her. Um, and maybe that led to that. It led could to have that conversation. Left to led to her going to that house, maybe, but I mean, ultimately, she did pull the trigger, and that's what she did. So, hard one. Like, it's a hard one, you know?
0: No, it really is. It's
1: tragic. It's super tragic. All these people lost their lives. You know, someone that, you know, was trying to help.
0: It's very sad. Sad. All right, guys. That concludes episode 91 of The True Crime Couple. I don't know why I reset our names again, but I did. (laughs) 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 um we hope that you are enjoying the beginning of this holiday season and that you're having a great time and you're staying safe with all this craziness that's going on and we hope that we could uh, be a little bit of an escape from the possible well not the possible the pandemic that's going on yes still still going on still going on <laughs> all right guys we'll see you in another 2 weeks uh we are not going to be taking a holiday break we will be with you through it all
1: yep we'll be here
0: all right bye guys
1: bye guys